Welcome to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. Hi, this is Kent Hunter, the Church Doctor, Church Consultant, author of many books, and just a guy that absolutely loves churches, loves to help churches and church people to become more effective in fulfilling the Great Commission. We are on episode three. Uh, We just uh, finished in the last episode, number two, what are the characteristics of a movement? And we talked about a centripetal movement and a centrifugal movement, how God started in the Old Testament with a y'all come plan where you could find God in the temple at Jerusalem. Even Jesus and his family did a pilgrimage to uh, the temple. Remember when he got lost in the crowd as a little boy? And then in the New Testament, Jesus, as our Savior and as an adult, turned that around to a centrifugal type of movement where it's all about go, not to all come. And so that mentality is a huge step for people, that it's not about inviting people to church, it's about taking church to people. And that's a next step in understanding how our church can be a movement. So in this episode, number three, we're going to look at what does movement look like in our church. And the way I'm going to do this is we're going to talk about two different ways of a number of different levels of looking at church, because we want to rethink Christianity as a movement, because that's what it's supposed to be. And when it is, it really makes a difference in the world. We have impact and our churches reach people for Christ and that has an impact on the society, and our churches grow, and people come to know the Lord, and are going to go to heaven, and just a whole lot of great things happen when we get back to movement mentality. So what does this look like in your church? Let's rethink the Christian movement here. As we talk about this, I want to start with the juxtaposition of a movement, not an institution. Now, Churches very easily drift into institutional behavior. We have all sorts of institutional elements, like boards and committees. That's not in the New Testament. We have bylaws. Now, I know you have to have something like that to be legal in the country, but we just don't have to live by those in a sense where they rule the church, the Bible rules our direction. And so we have all this institutional baggage, and it literally slows the church down. We tend to talk about the church as an institution. People will always think about the institutional form of the church. I go to church. No, you're not. You are the church. We'll talk about that at a different level in a few minutes. But all these institutional ideas, elections uh, that we have, volunteerism, and that will bleed over into when we talk about the church as an organization. So we need to get back to the movement concept. How do we do that? We're going to look at a number of other these juxtapositions issues. The second one is Christianity is a process, not a program. Now, I know a lot of people that are really hyped on programs. I remember consulting a church, wonderful pastor, great guy, really like this guy, He's a very gifted, good leader, good preacher, teacher, loves the Lord, and desperately wants his church to be more effective in reaching lost people. 
So I sat down with them when they asked me to consult his church. I would start with an interview with the pastor. And I say, okay, tell me, you know, why am I here consulting this church? And uh, how long have you been here? And he says, well, I've been here for 20 years. I said, oh, that's quite a while. He says, yeah, and I'm really frustrated. He said, I don't think things are much different than when I came. I had great aspirations, big ideas. And here we are all these years later. I said, well, tell me about the 20 years. He says, well, I've had a new program every year for 20 years. We've had 20 programs in the last 20 years. In fact, he said, the people called me the program pastor. And I took that as a compliment at first, but we don't see any results. But I've had a new program. You know, you go out and buy these programs. They're everywhere. You see them on the internet. They're in catalogs. They're in magazines that go to Christians. All about this next greatest program. 10 weeks or 10 months, it's a program. And he says, we've had all these programs. And the truth is, 20 years later, our church is about the same, almost identical to what it was 20 years ago. And so that's the difference between a program and a process. When the disciples followed Jesus, they started a process. That process didn't end when Jesus rose from the grave and ascended into heaven. That process in their lives continued until they died and went to heaven. So this is the movement mentality of a process. So in churches, for example, a lot of congregations will have a program, a class, where you go through so many classes, take notes, do what, signs and papers or whatever, and a programmatic idea that this is how you become a member of the church. And then once you've done that, well, they expect you to show up at church, give some money in the offering, and that's maybe for a lot of people, if they don't go to a Bible class, the end. But that's a program mentality. If you look at it as a process that never ends, you'll never become a person where you end learning. You'll be a lifelong learner. That's a process. You'll be learning. You'll be growing. You'll be discipled by someone else. You'll be discipling someone else till Jesus comes back or till Jesus takes you home. And so that's the difference between a process rather than a program. Now, there are some programs that do some good things for churches. And so I don't want to curse all programs or anything like that. But if you want the Christian movement, you've got to go beyond programs to a process. And in another teaching, in another episode, we'll get to the meat of that. Another juxtaposition is it's a journey, not an event. Sometimes we tend to think about life in church as an event. So one of the difficulties that leads to is that people will maybe make a judgment call about someone who's a younger Christian and about the way they act in church or something they say or the way they dress or whatever might be their perception. And instead of looking at it as a journey, we tend to look at it as events. So if somebody is on a Christian journey, but they're a baby Christian, that person may be a baby Christian, let's say six-month-old Christian, but they might come disguised as a 70-year-old person that just became a Christian. And so it does no good to look at it as an event that you sort of categorize or put people into categories because we all grow at different levels. 
Sometimes we coast for a while and we don't really grow in the faith. We just sort of stay stagnant. We may, you know, come to listen to sermons and stuff and that's a little bit of growth, but maybe we're not learning about our spiritual gifts or we just stop somewhere along the way. That's because we put things into categories called events. What we really want to do is focus on the lifelong journey of growing and learning in discipleship. And that way, there's no one really better. There's just places, people that are farther down the journey, that's all. And we can learn from them. They have wisdom, and we should. There are people that are newer, but we recognize that. It's like raising children. You know, if your kids do stuff that is funny to an adult or different or hard to swallow, that's because they're younger. They're just kids. And if you understand the journey then you understand that people are also the children of God and they grow into disciples and at the same time remain God's children. So that's an important part. The next one is, are we messengers or consumers? Now, we live in a consumer-oriented society. Have it your way. iPads, iPhones, everything, it's all about me. What can I get? What do I have? And that's not what it means to be a Christian. Actually, we're not only not consumers, we are messengers. We are called to be part of the truth-telling group of Jesus. And whenever we get to that point in our journey where we become messengers, we have learned to be messengers, then we fit that mold. But if we are consumers, then we always want it our way. What's really strange about that is we pray in the Lord's Prayer, we want God's will to be done on earth like it is in heaven. That means in our church like it is in heaven. We want what God wants in our lives like it is in heaven. And so we really abandon the consumer mentality when it comes to spiritual matters. And so it's only then that we can become messengers it's only then that we can be in the movement of Christianity. We don't move the movement as consumers. We get stuck in the consumer mentality. This is huge for many Christians in a nation that literally runs on the consumer mentality. The next one is relationships, not an organization. This is really big also. Christianity runs on relationships not as an organization. Now, a lot of churches operate as an organization. We elect people. We have volunteers. There's nothing in the Bible about volunteers. We are related to Christ, and because of that, we have the Holy Spirit, and because of that, we have spiritual gifts, and we find our gifts, which finds our place in the body of Christ, and there we know how we find fulfillment according to our gifts and our calling. And then the way to reach people in this world is through relationships. We have this notion that the church is the way to change the world. You don't penetrate a society with an organizational church. You penetrate the society with the people of the church, the body of Christ, the branches of the vine, you penetrate through the relationships 
The way to win people to Christ is through relationships. Somebody years ago got the really bad idea. Knock on doors, interrupt people from dinner, and talk to strangers. And, you know, give them the Bible passages. And, well, if they don't shoot you or run you off, maybe one in a thousand, if you just hit the right time and God does a miracle, they become a Christian. But the truth is, your mission field are the people with whom you have relationships. This is the way the New Testament church grew. Everybody knew that they were a messenger and they were in relationships. And so they wanted to interact with people in the marketplace. And so through their relationships, the people shared it wasn't an institution or an organization. It was people in the church who carried the message. This is where we've gotten confused. Somehow we think the church should be the messenger, whether that's a building organization, programs, institution, whatever. And so we think that the big idea is to invite people to church. Why would someone who's not a Christian want to come to church where what you do there is worship the God you believe in, and they don't believe in that God. They don't even know who you're talking about. It's a crazy idea to invite people to church. Mainly, the idea is, if you have a relationship with a person, there's someone, if they don't know the Lord, who is your mission field. And if they show interest, don't invite them to church, invite them to coffee. And we'll talk more about that as we continue. But relationships are key. What we've done is so organize the church that we think that's the mission mechanism. It isn't. You are. The people are. To get in the marketplace among your friends and relatives and neighbors and people where you go to school or work. Those are the people that you're in relationship. If you really want to know the primary mission field of your church, it's the sum total of the unchurched non-Christians in the social networks of everyone in your church. If you add all those up, and you can, that's the low-hanging fruit of the harvest. Another one in juxtaposition is that the church, the Christian movement, is supposed to be a community, not a building. I know it's happened to you, it's happened to me. Somebody says, oh, where do you go to church? And you say, oh, well, I go down to that church that's that building that is white or red brick or whatever on the corner of this street and that street. But that's not really the church. God forbid, but if your church building burned down tonight, your church would still exist because the church is the people. And so if the building burned down, your church would still exist. You just have to find another place to meet for a while. But if your church runs out of people, you can have the most immaculate building in the world. You can be the Notre Dame in Paris, one of my most famous, wonderful places to visit. An amazing cathedral of unbelievable proportions. But honestly, you could shoot a gun down through the sanctuary on Sunday morning and the only person you would hit is a tourist with a camera or their phone taking pictures. Because church is not a building. We build our buildings too big 
And that's because we do too much at the building. Take your Bible class off-site. Go meet at a restaurant or a bar or any kind of a pizza place or anywhere that's public. And that will get you into the community and that will take your community of believers into your community. What happens is we spend so much money on buildings because we think everything has to happen in the building. Two things are wrong with that. Number one, we got too much money put into bricks and mortar. And number two, we're teaching our people that it's all about what happens at the building. It is just the opposite. It's all about what you do out in the world. Another area of rethinking the Christian movement is it's a way of life, not a compartmentalized activity. You know, there is this idea of being a Sunday morning Christian. Now it's even worse. There are many people that would describe themselves as active Christians, but it's okay if you make three out of four or four out of five Sundays a month. I'm still an active member, but I'm not involved in anything. I'm not, I don't have a ministry. I don't know what my gifts are. I'm not in a Bible study. I'm not in a small group. That makes Christianity a compartmentalized activity. It is not. It's a way of life. There is no part of your life untouched when you become a Christian. And if you have compartmentalized that, then you are holding back what God wants to do in you and through you. Another one, if you're going to think about a movement, think about Christianity as a spiritual adventure, not a religion. I really am uncomfortable when people talk about Christianity as a religion. Because a religion is a system, it's a series of doing things, and that's not what it is at all. It's a spiritual adventure. The religion part is, yeah, how we do things, but guess what? The way we do things changes or should change in time. And if you're hung up on religion rather than the spiritual part, then when they want to change the hymn book, you go crazy. Or when they would pull out the pews, which are not the way modern people sit anymore, and put in chairs, then if that's a problem for you, then you're stuck in the religion, not the spiritual adventure. Christianity as a movement is a spiritual adventure. It's moving. It's changing all the time in terms of style, which is the religious part, but not in substance, which is the spiritual part. Another one, when you think about Christianity as a movement, it's an experience not an academic statement. We have all these mission statements and things we put on the wall and we have in our constitution and all this kind of stuff. But Christianity is not just academic. It's just not filling your head with more knowledge. It is experiential. If you're leaving a sermon and saying, oh man, I learned a lot. Yeah, that was a good sermon because you're looking at it as academic. Or if you come away from a sermon and say, wow, I've experienced a whole new level of where I need to grow or what I need to do, or I've learned how I can reach people that are in my social network, or I know how to really experience a new level of worship. That's an experience, not an academic statement. When it comes to Christianity as a movement, we are disciples, not graduates. It's tough when people think when they become a member of the church, they have graduated. There are no graduates in the kingdom, 
only people that die and go to heaven. If you want to call something graduation, that would be at your funeral. But the truth is we're disciples, which means we're followers of Jesus. It means we're constantly learning. It also means we're constantly discipling someone else. And at some time in this series or another, we'll talk about the stages of discipling. Not rocket science, but most people don't get it. But disciples don't occur in a class of 50. You can't disciple 50 people at one time. You don't disciple people because you're a preacher and they're in church, in worship. You can only disciple people in a relationship and it's personal. And well, Jesus could do 12. You probably can't. I can't. Not at one time. But when one is discipled or two are discipled, you move on and you disciple some others. That's how you grow the kingdom of God. That's the movement. It's really funny. Airplanes pilots do it. You're there as a learner right in the cockpit with an experienced pilot. Doctors do it. You're there as a student watching the master surgeon in the surgical theater. Most people in the building trades do it. Plumbers have apprentices. In Christianity, we're supposed to disciple other people. Guess who thought about all this apprentice stuff? Who really started it? It was Jesus. Guess who doesn't do it while many other vocations do? Yeah, the church. Another one, we are missionaries, not members. We are members of a body and leave it at that. We are not members of an organization, institution. I wish we never called it members. You know, it's funny. Usually we accomplish what gets measured. What do churches measure? Well, they measure the money that comes in and they measure how many members you have and they measure attendance. But what if we measure disciples? What if we measure disciplers? What if we discipled missionaries, people that are out on a mission, feel sent by God, are called and sent by God to tell others about Jesus? What if everybody was a missionary? That would be different. We are ministers, not observers. You know, preachers are called ministers, and that's a mistake. You can call them that, but their job, according to the Bible, is to equip the people of God to do the work of ministry. And they should never do ministry alone. They should be discipling another person while they're doing ministry. We are all ministers, not observers. We are not the crowd for the Sunday morning service. We are ministers being equipped to go out into the world. That's why we have gifts, and that's how we know what our calling is. And finally, we are transformed, not conformed. And this will lead us to our next episode because we are so conformed to the world. And I don't mean this unkindly, and it's not a criticism. It's just what happens to churches. Little by little, it creeps into the church. It's the devil's biggest trick is get the church conformed to the world. But like Paul said to the people at the Church of Rome, hey, you guys live in an awful society in Rome, very secular. Don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed by a complete renewal of your mind, the way you think. And that's what we're talking about. It's not all this other stuff. It's a movement. Well, that moves us in the right direction. And I uh, thank God for the privilege of sharing this with you. And I can't wait for next time when we'll talk about what is the power of the movement. I can hardly wait. You have been listening to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. If you've liked this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts 
and subscribe to hear future episodes. Check out Kent Hunter's new book, Who Broke My Church? Seven Proven Strategies for Renewal and Revival, available now wherever books are sold.